Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I'm doing great today. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I actually thought I'd start us off by doing a little shout out to Mike Galoop. He's the voice that introduces the show. And so I just want to say thanks, Mike. We love having your voice there. Yeah, I concur. You know, it's been 120 plus episodes and we get to hear his tender tones bringing us in every time we launch a new episode. So thanks, Mr. G. Yes, thanks, Mike. That's awesome. So, uh, Randy, did you have something you wanted to discuss with me? Well, you know, Jake, uh, I do have something I want to uh, have a conversation about. What it is, it's really more of just an observation uh, from my point of view about some of the rising stars that we've seen this year. And three of them that I think really have a chance to become superstars in our sport. The first one that I've noticed is uh, a player from Medellin, Colombia. No surprise, right? This guy, when I was there in January, which is crazy, that was only like seven, eight months ago. Feels like eight years with all the stuff that's been going on. But this guy had, you know, pretty basic game. I've seen him doing some tiny room battles and just some videos that he's posted on his own. And his game just like has gone Donnie Rhodes-esque and not so much that he's playing like Donnie Rhodes, but his growth from six months to when I saw him in Medellin has been phenomenal. And his name is Juan David Rivera. And uh, he's also kind of got a nickname, The Stash, because he's got this, you know, crazy mustache that he's growing. So have you seen him play at all? And, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah, you know, I saw him on one of the Tiny Room Challenges and I thought, oh, it's so great to see a new jammer. And then he just was shredding his brains out. And I was like, what the heck? Who is this guy? I'd never heard of him. I didn't know what to expect. And I was my, my mind was blown. So, yeah, that's a great call out. He's obviously got the drive and the interest in, you know, I think he's got the makings of a superstar Definitely. if he keeps taking that path. Um, the next one, we're going to go to the country of Poland. And there's two guys here in Poland that I want to uh, give a mention to. So the first one, and he's not really a, a, a new guy. He's, you know... Uh, definitely a rising star. I'd say he's a star, but it's Kuba Redwanski. Again, tiny room challenge. Um, you know, he won the whole thing this last time. He is just continuing to grow and add. And he's, you know, so interesting to watch. I think he's just got such a compelling game. He's got this sort of elfin sort of mystique, like he's out of Lord of the Rings or something. You know, he's kind of got that soft power game where it's just this sort of gentle but very powerful and just really pushing the envelope and adding stuff to his game. So that's another one that I think has got a great potential to be a superstar. He may already be a superstar, but I agree he's still on his way up. As you say that, uh, I would say he's precise. It's like he does everything with a lot of intention and when he does it, you know exactly what he wanted, what he meant to do. It just looks great. But the other thing yeah. I noticed about him is he never drops. I had a jam with him 
Uh, it was last late last year. He almost never dropped it. And he's also just super comfortable in his skin when he's jamming. You know, you don't ever feel any panic. He's just really comfortable and, and easy to watch. So uh, the next one, again, we're going to stay in Poland. And this guy is really surprising me. And he he may be the one with the most potential. And, and that is Timic Rotek. And so, again, Tiny Room Challenge where you really got to see him bust out. And I've also seen him post some videos but I remember him in Ternava, you know, when that was a couple years ago. And uh, he had the he had the drive and the hunger, but he was still so raw. But now he's starting to put it together. He can do both spins. He can, you know, be creative. He also has that power game that has softness to it as well. But, you know, a little more athleticism than Kuba. I really think he's the one to keep an eye on for super, super things to happen. Yep, agreed. Seeing him on Tiny Room again blew my mind. That whole Tiny Room thing, just in general, there were so many players on there that I didn't know what to expect, and I was so surprised by so many of the people, and Timic is definitely on that list. It's nice to see that whole format and like go, wow, our sport's in really good hands, and just how global it is, too. So that's really cool. So let's shift gears and talk about our episode for today. Today we're going to continue our conversation with Cray Van Sickle, and guess what? The conversation goes on to talk about the V-Bros again. <laughs> Let's listen. We gave the V-Brothers so much shit for being too hokey in the early days, which I feel incredibly embarrassed by. But of course, you know, this was sort of like the New Yorker, whatever. We were all, we were all idiots. <laughs> but, um, but man, we gave those guys a lot of grief. Unfortunately, they had a good, strong enough bond with each other to have their own idea about it. They had a great sense of self, so they definitely remember all right. of that gnar that was being thrown at them, but they were like, hey, man, this is who we are, and yeah. we're comfortable with it, you know? And I mean, one of my favorite routines of all time is their beat it routine, and I know uh -huh. they took a lot of flack for that, but I just uh -huh. loved that. I was like... Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the direction I find attractive. You know? Well, you know, underneath a certain amount of it was the jealousy that they were getting all the attention they were getting for the, um, you know, having the flair, which I didn't have any problem with at all. Um, you know, there was a moment when I would say we were sort of focused on the technical stuff. Um, and there was more or less bias on it, depending on who we were, you know, who among us we were talking about. Um, and the thought was, is that they were which is not true, really, um, you know, emphasizing the flair more than the technical. But it was there was a, there was a certain amount of jealousy in there, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's a great <laughs> observation because, you know, I mean, Erwin yeah. was about as great as you can get. <laughs> I yeah. think he's doing stuff where you're just like, did he really just do that as a human being? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. They called them the, we called them the Bongo Brothers, the Bongo Brothers or something, because they had the uh, they did they, they play to. I mean, we played to Earth, Wind, and Fire, but they they like they chose great music. Like they played with Earth, Wind, and Fire. It was like totally upbeat, happy, you know. And then they would go out and they'd do the. Oh no, they they did. They must have they must have done something to a song like Bongo Rio Rio Bongo, and so CB named them the Bongo Brothers. And then it was like no end of mirth. <laughs> so we're talking about competition a little bit. Um, what was the first competition you competed in, and what was your uh, impression of it? So I. Um, Going back when I went to up to Central Park uh, when I was like 12 and then I did some shows then and I was bi-coastal as I had mentioned my mom was in California and then uh, in 1973-74 we went down to El Salvador 
to start an organic farm and garden somewhere in the tropics. We ended up in El Salvador, and I spent like, I don't know, five, six months down there, learned how to surf, which was a big thing. And it was really an amazing, you know, that was when it was really a very authentic country. It was before the war, and Central America hadn't been overrun by Western culture, and it was, uh, or, you know, Northern culture. And um, anyway, so I was pretty far out of it being on the farm in California and farm uh, in um, El Salvador. And then I came back in the fall and Kerry sort of had just come back from winning the individual freestyle um, championships at the Rose Bowl, which is when those discs that I was saying, the Pepsi Cola discs had come out that were the 119s and stuff. And he basically grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and he said, come here, you're coming with me. And there was a tournament out in New Jersey and um, we went, it was the Jersey Jam, and uh, I think it had golf, and I don't know, must have, Carrie and I must have played together in freestyle, or it was sort of like a bunch of different events, and um, I actually won the golf. It, you know, Mark Dano was sort of the local golf guy, um, but again, because we were all pretty, we did everything. It was like, you know, every ball, ball sport was under one roof at that time. And so I won the golf uh, and played uh, in in the freestyle and whatever else was there. I'm not even sure if it was freestyle, but we had a great time. And then from there, we just I just kept on going to tournaments, and I basically my whole life switched over to frisbee full time. Wow. Well, that's actually a great dovetail into sort of the overall scene that was going on in Central Park, because like you say, everybody did everything. And uh, could you talk a little bit about your journey to the Rose Bowl and and actually winning that overall title, I would love to hear your experience about that and that journey. Oh, and what what year was that? That's the first question. What year did you win the Rose Bowl? Seventy eight. Seventy eight. Okay. Talk about your journey to to that. Yeah. So I guess that um, you know probably once I started going to tournaments, I'm trying to remember which ones. I think that maybe. The next tournament after that, that was 74, 75, maybe that was 75, the the Jersey Jam, or or maybe by the spring, I started going to other tournaments. But um, I started to, you know, interact with Kirkland Moore, who was more of an overall player. He actually was my chaperone when I went to the Junior World Championships, um, which was this, um, you know, National Park and Recreation Department program. That was sponsored uh, for a while, and just because it was, they did it right on the um, the road between the Banshell and Frisbee Hill and the Meadow. They had this competition for qualifying for the juniors, and so I did that, and then ended up having Kirkland come with me to be my chaperone instead of my parents for that uh, thing, which was held at Six Flags, Georgia, I think, and that was an outrageous experience. Really funny. They're, they had the hula hoop ladies and the and the frisbee playing. The juniors were both at the same time. Um, so the whole the whole experience that was sort of like I guess I was already going to tournaments here and there, uh, but that was part of the progression that I was getting more and more into um, overall stuff. I, I think also Mountain and Ono, Rourke Travell and I hitchhiked from New York. I was fourteen or fifteen. And Rourke was probably 19 to Chicago for a. They were at that time. There were three full. There was an East Coast, middle of the United States, and West Coast 
Octad was one of them where you had the overall competition that they had all of the events. And actually, that's right, Octad. The first one that I would have done would have been Octad. And it must have been very soon after I came back from probably 15. And I came in pretty high. I think I came in like 11th or something like that. And that might have been like the second or third tournament I went to. And then I went out to, I'm not sure the sequence of all of these things. Then I hitchhiked to Chicago and did the one in the Midwest and then had to leave before the ceremony was over. And I went back because I got a hitchhike. I got a ride to go back. (laughs) I stopped by cops. They were like checking if I was a runaway and stuff. It was really funny. And Mountain brought back the, the, um, the, the trophy because I had won the one in um, in Chicago and then um, you know started to do like um, I started playing with Kirkland a lot and doing all the different events and um, practicing you know accuracy was uh, do they still do accuracy they don't do ac- do they do accuracy they do in the overalls I still do uh-huh and then there was throw run and catch and um, and um, MTA and and then it, I guess by some point, Double Discord came along. So I toured, I guess it was 77, I toured all over the place. I just went to as many tournaments as I could and ended up winning practically all of the, the distance competitions that I was in. My father and I uh, innovated the turnaround throw, you know, the, when you, you spin. So uh, like the, I remember the tournament, there was a tournament in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which was inside in a big gym where it was like there was a 130-foot space or something like that. And there was Joe Youngman and this guy Chuck somebody, and there was all these like big distance guys. And I won that because it was like basically came down to who could hit the wall and how high. So that was a real, I was really into distance. I loved that. And I loved, you know, power throwing and loved the Frisbee golf. It was just really loved all that stuff. So what's crazy is that I remember the first time I saw you do the 360. So it was an NAS tournament in Vancouver. I don't think many people had seen it and was just like, whoa, what just happened there? And the torque. And it was really wild to see you throw because you were kind of small of stature and there'd be like these big, huge dudes, you know, with big guns. And you were just using the just the the momentum and the whip of your body to just create that torque, throwing a 119, you know, just like those tiny 119s and well over a hundred yards and people are just like whoa what just happened here so i totally remember that 360 revolution there were innovations happening in all of the the different disc sports right it wasn't just and in the discs themselves as you pointed out right and we did definitely throw 119s for a really long time i've got a story about innovating um other kinds of discs you want me to digress on that a little bit yeah i would love to hear it so before the 119s came out between pros and 119s, there was this uh, disc called the CPI, which was a much better disc than the Pro. And it didn't have as many lines underneath, and it just flew, and it was unbreakable, too, which we, we all had nothing but contempt for the fact that they made discs breakable. Uh, we figured that had to have been you know planned obsolescence, which I'm sure it was. Um, so in Central Park, for sure, we played with CPIs. A lot of the tricks that you that you know we innovated were innovated on CPIs. We played golf with them, of course, and there was every once in a while a disc would show up that must have collapsed after it came out of the mold, and it was a little bit more low profile. And I had one that was particularly low profile, 
and that we said, look at this thing, man. This thing flies like completely different. Look at how it cuts through the air and goes like crazy. And so my father um, started to put them in the oven and heat them up. And then we would crimp the edges to make these really low profile discs. I still have the original one downstairs in the basement, I'm pretty sure. And I won the first professional disc golf championship at Craigmere in New Jersey, which was a very, it was on this ski mountain in this densely wooded, it was a terrible Frisbee golf course. <laughs> it was like there was, it was basically just like these little channels that were cut out of the woods with a, you know, but so, so it was perfect for this kind of disc, right? Where you could just fucking just like, you know, like a Roby kind of like, uh, um, Star Wars, you know, throw through these channels. And, um, and so that was like the beginning of the, of the, didn't have the presence of mind to start to go into making them for golf, but that was the first, basically, Frisbee golf disc that was sort of, we noticed that that's the way to, and distance disc, uh, we noticed that, you know, you could alter it. Yeah. Um, the so beveled edge. Little, yeah. The beveled edge. The beveled edge coming out of your oven. I wish... I wish I could, I should take some pictures of it. I should go down, find it and take a picture of it and, and show you guys. Um, so anyway, so leading up to the Rose Bowl, I mean, it was really one of the most fun times of my life, you know, did adventures like hitchhiking around, around and then traveling around with this roving group. I did a lot of traveling with Mountain and CB. Mountain was my, basically my roommate and he was my receiver for the accuracy. Like, you know, we would just zone in really tight together um, and then, of course, getting together with the, I tour. I went in the blue van with uh, Billy King and Jimmy Brown and uh, John Anthony. They were traveling all around the country in this funky blue van, and so we just packed into that thing and traveled all over the place, um, listening to Steely Dan and you know smoking a lot of weed and heading you know and seeing Kirkland uh, you know here and there and the other memorable. Tournaments were like it in Boulder. We 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 did some great. Uh, the three of us did some great routines there, and uh, that was the time when Westerfield threw the disc so far it went. It was such a big wind. No, Westerfield threw a distance throw that they recorded at like 550 some odd feet or something. Dan, oh, what was his name? Uh, he was from Boston. He was the he was the world distance champion for a long time. And he threw one and it went so far that we couldn't find it. And I threw one that also got recorded as a junior. And I ended up being in the Guinness Book of World Records erroneously for being the longest, having the world record. <laughs> it was the right, it, they had the right number, but I wasn't the world record holder. <laughs> but but that was in Colorado. I'm just like reminiscing about some of the... Uh, I mean, I did, it was probably a world record for the juniors, for sure. Uh, but it wasn't the overall which is what it was or the open world record so yeah so then after touring around and and doing a lot of uh you know i was doing really well uh, on the national circuit and, and qualified and went to i guess it was did i go to the 77 i guess i must have gone to the 77 rose bowl and that was the one that kirkland won and i think that we partnered together in freestyle and a bunch of other stuff and he won that i'm pretty sure and then 78 you know, I uh, just kept on doing the same thing, and that, that was the year that I won. And, you know, 
Hoskins, Don Hoskins and um, Sammy Schatz. We spent a lot of time with them out on in Venice at, at uh, Sammy Schatz's place in in the near the canals, and they were just so funny. I think it was Donnie had a girlfriend with a yellow Volkswagen, and then Sammy's mother had an exactly the same little yellow Volkswagen bug. And so every time we'd go anywhere, we'd sort of casually get into the uh, respective cars and then it would be a full on, <laughs> you know, risk your life uh, floating drag race to whatever the destination was. It, it was really, really funny. There was a great West Coast compliment to the to the New York sort of vibe. Um, so we spent a lot of time running around with those guys. And then the Rose Bowl was just a really, I think that there was a an emphasis on camaraderie and on still on um, innovating and exploring up to the, that, the time that I, at least was my experience, and I'm sure it was different for everybody. It was really on just doing your best and and having a great time. And so I, it was, it was, and cause we weren't taking it that seriously, frankly, right? Like nobody was really training, <laughs> so to speak, or doing it. We were, we were obviously playing all the time, but we weren't doing it with the mindset of like, Hey, we're sports competitors and we're competing against each other sort of. And, and that was an interesting observation because by 79, I, I did a big tour with, uh, for the, um, the junior, promoting the Junior World Frisbee Championships with Lynn Swan, who was, uh, who was the uh, Pittsburgh Steeler wide receiver guy for High C and Coca-Cola. And, but also, I really felt like it, it changed at that point, and people started to like, ask, like, so how did you do? It, like, the emphasis was like, on how did you do, rather than like, how did you feel? How, you know, how, how, what did you come up with? I really felt like there was a turning point, which is one of the reasons why I phased out of doing competition at that point. Is that the time period where you started phasing out right in that 78, 79 period? Yeah, pretty soon after. I mean, you know, I think I thought from a, a, a an inherent interest in Frisbee standpoint, I would have gone on forever and ever. But I really didn't experience it as the as the same vibe after that. And that's sort of when I went off with Evan and started wanting to focus more on performance kind of stuff. And we went to, um, to Santa Cruz in 1980, which was the World Disc, Flying Disc Championship, and played there. And I think after that, I stopped doing it. I just wanted to do performances because I wasn't... Everybody was, you know, asking me. It was sort of like I was the guy on top and I, they wanted to compete with me. And, and it was a totally different experience. And I wasn't really into that. Uh, you know, I got my yayas out with competition and I wasn't, I mean, I'm, I'm at some level I'm competitive, but in a lot of ways, that was not the interesting part of it for me. Um, right. So I started to focus more on wanting to just do the creative part and um, and just do frisbee and disc dance and uh, explore that as an, as an performance art. Yes, I can totally understand Cray's dilemma there, and I can appreciate how he wanted to lean into more of the performance aspect of the art of freestyle frisbee than the competition part. Totally, yeah. I can I can imagine. Actually, I've experienced this where preparing for a competition drives me in a different direction than if I'm preparing for a performance. Like how I approach it 
the type of energy that I put into it and definitely the movements that I'm going to perform. Like one is about connecting with the judges and about really trying to win. And the other one is more about just connecting with the audience and trying to entertain people. And I could see how one would draw certain people and the other one may draw other people or some people like both. One thing that I like about freestyle frisbee as a, as a sport and pastime is that it can fulfill people of all different desires. If you're into competition, we got it. If you're into performing, we got that too. And I think it's also that dilemma too of just being in the competition with other players. So it's not just so much the competing for the judges. You're just kind of navigating all of that other competitor energy too. And, and, and that can be a bit of a drain. But yeah, certainly understand that dilemma for sure. It's true. It's it's interesting that we, we're the jamily and yet the thing that brings us together the most is a competition which sort of pits us against each other we live in this strange dichotomy <laughs> and we've talked about it a lot over the past few years you know it's a it's a weird dance but it is the thing that brings us together and that's one of the things i'm actually missing a lot right now in my life is being able to get together with the tribe so i'm hoping someday soon we can all gather and get our yayas off yeah amen i can't wait for that to happen and on that note, I'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees and live stream.